0: Hello, everybody. hope you're going super, super well. In today's episode, I've got an interview with Shona all the way in the United Kingdom. She kindly reached out to me to discuss her story. You know, I I know I have a few or quite a few female listeners as well, and I haven't done as many interviews with, with women. And Shona is a great case study of how someone can build a strong career and get through all the negativity um that comes with being dyslexic as a as a youth. And I thought the interview went super well. So uh, let's let's dive into it. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to today's interview. I'll be speaking with Shona all the way in the United Kingdom. Uh, over here in New Zealand it's 8:30 in the morning. Over there it's is it 9:30 at night?
1: It's 9:30 at night.
0: 9 30 at night don't we love technology it's really helping and uh in today's episode we are going to be talking about a little bit about employment a bit about Shona's story of how she has grown through the ranks some of the challenges she's had and we're going to look at some of the pieces that may be able to help you in your life and your career so let's um let's get started so shane do you want to do you want to kick us off and start us off with where it all starts back in beautiful Wales.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, so I grew up uh, in the 80s and 90s in rural Wales. Uh, I went to a very small primary school. There were about seven of us in my year, uh, maybe 10 on a good day. Um, And I I wasn't diagnosed with dyslexic at all when I was uh, at school. I was just a middle-of-the-road average kid. Uh, I was pretty good at some stuff. I could read before I went to school, which is probably why some of it didn't get picked up. I, I actually, uh, I've actually always been a pr- bit of a prolific reader. Um, I struggled much more with numbers and that's where it became much more obvious was in uh, the numbers that um, I, I really did struggle with maths uh, quite early on. But I also struggled with writing, um, and my handwriting is atrocious at times. I have to really mm. concentrate to write neatly. And I remember my headmaster making me write over and over again cursive because I just couldn't get it. Um, went on to secondary school. Uh, and again, you know, nothing ever came up uh, at secondary school around dyslexia. I was pretty pretty, again, pretty average. I was always in the bottom set for maths uh, because I wasn't very good at it. Um, But I was actually quite often in the top set for English or sort of very close to the top set. Um, I found that with the way things worked with dyslexia back then, I think you had to have quite, it was quite overt for you to get a diagnosis and and those kids got extra help, which I always thought must have been great because they got out of PE, (laughs) which would have been great. but yeah, that, that's kind of how school was for me. I was really good at science, but um, one of the things I did experience being female was that I was really actively discouraged from science, so much so that I actually dropped it um, doing uh, mm. a, a, triple, a single award at GCSE. I just did a double award, which is where you get two GCSEs. Uh, if you do a triple award, you get three GCSEs, which is just how it works in the UK. Um uh, so much that i i just didn't want to do it anymore because i didn't really like my teacher and my teacher was actively discouraging me from pursuing stem even though i was one of their best pupils uh, in the right. class at uh, particularly chemistry uh, and actually talking to some of my male colleagues now they, they will tell you a different story quite often they'll say it was their science teachers their physics teachers their chemistry teachers that were their salvation from the from the english and they um and they were actively encouraged to pursue stem so i think For me, um, once I was diagnosed with dyslexia, that was some of the things that were quite obvious in the difference between men and women, is that I actually probably could have excelled in the world of science, but I was actively discouraged Mm. from doing that, Um, which was fine. I've done different things in my life. Um, I went off to university. Uh, I found when I got to university that I struggled a little bit with uh, the pace Uh, of some of the lectures and some of the reading that I had to do and it was taking me longer to get to grips with uh, concepts and because of that my one of my lecturers actually picked up that I was struggling a little bit and said hey why don't you go and talk to student services and uh, go and get a dyslexia test which which I did and um, I, I was it was very bizarre because no one really explained to me what what was actually happening. I just went and saw an educational psychologist, they asked me a bunch of questions and I got this report that I didn't really understand what it meant. And then they sent me off to go and get some equipment, uh, and I went to another place to get some equipment, and I got some equipment, and that was that. Um, but actually, uh, because I would struggled so much, I ended up having to repeat one of repeat one of my years at university. Which, again, you know, now was absolutely fine. At, at the time, it felt like the end of the world. Um, but I, I repeated mm. the year. I did graduate from university. How uh, did that,
0: looking looking at that year? How did that? How did that make you feel that whole experience? Because this is this is something we talk a lot about is the amount of adult dyslexics, especially getting diagnosed, you know, past teens. You know, how does that? How did that make you feel personally? The whole experience of that, like, you know, can you remember what was going through here?
1: Yeah, there was a lot of denial because you know, here I was, twenty years old, twenty-one years old, and I've got, I made it so far, right? I got GCSEs, I got A levels. You know, I'd I made it so far in life. I, of course, I was, I was fine. So there was a lot of denial on my part um, to start with. I, I was quite. I think I was quite embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I had to repeat a year. I was. Um, I felt a little bit like a failure. Obviously, my friends that i have made had moved on, um, and I and I um, had to go back. And, and I was in that in that difficulty because it was actually my second year I repeated. So my friends went on to graduate that I'd made in the first year, and then I had to go back and and repeat the second year with a bunch of people that had made all those friendships in their first year so I felt really alone and I was kind of having you know you're away from home you know you don't really understand what any of this is I actually don't remember if I told my parents straight away I think I might have actually kept it from them for a little while because I just I did I just I, I didn't understand what it meant so I I needed time to process it um and actually, that that went on for a re- for a long time. I would say that probably went on for the best part of five years before I really accepted that I had dyslexia.
0: And I think I think that is such an important point because so many people get told this, and depending on what age it happens, and, and and again, we've also got to think like this would have been a few years back. Nowadays, with the internet. Yeah, <laughs> nowadays with the internet, people just jump on and start researching. Like we've had so many people find us from that exact pointers. They've been diagnosed. They've got no idea what to do. They're now an adult, and they 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 find us or find some other resource because you know they've got no clue what it means. You know, everyone just thinks it's reading and writing, and that's it. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I think some of the difficulty also comes when when you're a woman as well. For example, I, I've never. I I never felt I particularly excelled at anything. And I've always been told you're a bit of a good all-rounder. So you make an excellent housewife. I've heard that a lot. You make an excellent housewife. Oh, that's so horrible And and there's, you know, there's a real bucking of the trend. I remember being at school and having careers advice and saying, oh, well, you know, you could be, um, you could work in a shop or, you know, maybe you could, where be a florist oh you're, you're not you're not that stupid are you so maybe you could be a teacher or a nurse never a doctor and um, all of that was until I of course I got married and had children that that was my primary f- focus in life mm. um, as far as any any society was concerned so to go to, to make it through that get to university with undiagnosed dyslexia and then find out I had dyslexia it was a real kind of maybe I should give up now
0: but mm. I didn't that's awesome, and like, and that's, that's beautiful. Like, I, I've talked to a few people recently, like that, and it's, it's. They'll love to hear the story because they're kind of in that central zone at the moment, of being stuck at university, and and, and you go through that point: is do I want to do it? Do I not want to do it? Do I enjoy it? You know, is this right for me? And then they, they look at escaping. You know, and I've heard a couple. I've spoken to a couple of women actually that are in that zone, and there's, you know, so your your words to them would be, just. Crush it, get through, you can do it.
1: Just keep going, just keep going. And, and at the end of the day, no one ever asks me what degree I got, what classification degree. I haven't been asked what classification like, degree I got in about 15 years. So whilst it matters, and it feels like it matters at the time, I don't even put that I've got A levels on my CV now because it's implied that I've got them because I went to university. I've, I've made it this far, I think, you, you know, the fact that I went to school, it's implied, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's and that's that's a great point. Is it, it, it's not asked for once you. And I'm the same. Like I never went to university, but once you get to a certain point of career or business, people just stop asking you those questions. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of once you get through the first five, ten years. So you know that's a great point. Just just get it on your CV. It's as much for your confidence, isn't it? Absolutely. That's Absolutely. So yeah, do you do you want to carry on your story? So you're in sure. university. Um, you know?
1: So yeah, I finished university. Um I um, wanted to join the prison service. And I applied for a graduate job there. I did manage to get a graduate job. Um, and there was a, there was a, for some reason there was a delay between me finishing university and my graduate job stop um, starting. So I actually applied for a job at my local supermarket just stacking shelves over the um, summer. And uh, they offered me a job in HR. Uh, just an administration, which I absolutely loved, and they offered me a promotion pretty quickly. Uh, and I had a bit of a decision to make: did I want to pursue this HR thing that I didn't know anything about, or did I want to go with the prison service that I that I'd been set on for a couple of years? Uh, and they really enticed me to stay, so I actually stayed um, in the in the supermarket uh, working in HR. Uh, I did that um, for. I worked for this, that, that company for nearly six years um they had various different promotions uh i told them i was dyslexic when i started and uh that didn't really resonate with them at all i don't think they really you know grasped what that actually meant and what their obligations were and and back then in in the uk we the, the, we have the Disability Discrimination Act, which has subsequently been superseded by the Equalities Act 2010. And so there were some slight differences in the way in which they had to approach this. And mm. I didn't feel very confident to push some of the issues. So some of the things that I ended up having to do, I, I flat out point blankly refuse to do now because um, it puts me under pressure that I do not need to be under. And, it does, and I'm not good at it. So some of the things that they asked me to do would be to take notes at formal meetings. Um, Mm. never the blokes, by the way, never the blokes got us to take notes, just just us slowly women. Um, And uh, I I flat out refuse to do that now because I can do it, but it puts me under so much pressure that um, it's not worth it. It's not worth that level of stress. Um, I found my calling when I worked in HR because uh, my superpower being dyslexic is that I get people to talk. Um, and I, ha- I have great chats with people and I get people I, get, I really understand what makes people tick and I get, can get very quickly to the crux of some of the issues that they've got um, and I can quite often walk into a room and understand the undertones of what's going on having never met those people before through the non-verbal and some of the verbal verbal mm-hmm. cues that are in there um, and so that's really where my career went I, I moved through HR um, more into change management, more into transformation. And that's that's what I've been doing for um, pretty much the rest of my, my career. And I've been very fortunate that a lot of um, the companies that I've worked for have been absolutely fantastic in terms of uh, dealing with my dyslexia, but also being willing to listen to my feedback on how it feels. Because quite often, I find that people don't necessarily understand how you feel because if you're not willing to tell them, so they, yeah. they, they, they don't know what to do unless you actually tell them what you need. So I found that it's quite often beneficial to speak up about these things. Um, and I, 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 um, I remember going for a job once where they sent me a 375 page document to um, mm-hmm. read and digest um, and write a strategy of how I would go about implementing this document. Uh, with 24 hours notice, whilst I was also doing my full time job. And I remember sitting at my dining table crying, because I couldn't, um, I couldn't do it. I I couldn't, it was a big ask for anyone, but let alone me, that was a huge ask for me. So um, I did, I did the really brave thing. And I actually phoned up the company and said, I can't do this, I need more time. Um, And they said, that's okay, we'll give you more time. And I got the job.
0: That's and, I worked, cool.
1: and I worked there for for a long time. Um, i worked for that company for the best part of a decade. Um, and over the course of my career with them, I was able to facilitate a number of changes around the way they did recruitment through just giving them feedback about how it felt to be on my side. So, for example, administering um, tests uh, Mm. The, it, the way in which their te- their tests were administered was that it was done by a company in America. Uh, it didn't always work on our laptops, and therefore the, the extra time didn't always come through. <laughs> it, and mm. you know, and I did a lot of it through questioning. What was the point of some of the tests that they were doing? Because often hiring managers were just ticking the box. They wanted these tests, but not really able to articulate why they wanted them, uh, and yeah. subsequently then putting people like myself at an unfair disadvantage when they didn't really need to have them.
0: Have, um, you found, have you found from this, just, you know, have you looking at it, have you found that a lot of these big corporates, they don't really understand the number of people around that are dyslexic? Do you, do you feel they just don't have a clue in their organisation?
1: I feel that yes, the, the short answer is yes, but I feel a lot of that is stands for the fact that people feel afraid to disclose that they've got dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, the number of people that I've come across who, who uh, when I say I've got dyslexia, they say, oh, I have as well, but I've never told anyone.
0: Mm. it's so true though isn't it like it's you know I, I kind of you know not not to not to make it wrong but not to make it sound wrong because it's probably well you know don't you love to say things that don't sound quite right it's kind of like it's kind of like coming out of the closet with dyslexia Do you know what i mean it's yeah. kind of like it's kind of like we're actually the ones that you know the closet's been been freed a little bit more than usual so we're, we've all jumped in it and we don't want to talk about it you know it's and it's like it's we're shunned we're shunned so much for it and like sometimes as well as it's not even by the employer what i've seen a lot is we shun ourselves for it yeah because, definitely. We, because we were told we were wrong so many times as kids like
1: yeah wow. and, and i think that's that's the the, the stigma that I, I certainly felt was that i i saw the stigma attached to the kids at school and, and when i was diagnosed with dyslexia that was suddenly i don't want that stigma um mm. but i i've personally found it that actually by disclosing it's quite freeing and uh, you know I'm able to own it and I'm able to have those honest conversations with people to say no no this is not what it means this is what it means and this is what you need to do for me Um, but you might need to do something different for somebody else Um, and I also found uh, uh, you know some of the things I found is that people um, quite often the reasonable adjustments that people try and make is we're not going to give you too much work because we don't want to stress you out. And it's like, no, no, that's not what I need. I need you to stress me out, that's fine. I, But what I need is, I need a bit of extra time or you know, I might need some preparation. Mm-hmm. And I, I jokingly say things like, in the old days when you had to dial a conference call number before you had Zoom and um, Teams and everything, I would have to make 10 minutes before each call to dial, to dial in, because I'd have dialed it wrong 20 times.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Technology is definitely helping. And I think as well, like, you know, if- i kind of look at it like this it's kind of if i was going for a job and i haven't for a long time is i'd say hey you know i'm a ferrari i may be missing a wing mirror but you know i'm still a ferrari you know (laughs) you may
1: (laughs) absolutely i think also as well um people don't uh, people don't automatically think that they're excluding a whole group of people when they when they set something up so i i know that um you know, I've had experiences where you can write in and uh, put forward yourself for uh, reverse mentoring for the chief executive, but they want a two-page essay, and I would never, I would never mm-hmm. do that, because that is a waste of my time, it, I, I wouldn't enjoy doing it, I wouldn't feel that I was bringing my best to it, and I would also feel that I wouldn't, I wouldn't get it, so I would feel it is something that I wouldn't want to pursue, but had they said you need to, you know, you can do it in these different formats, I've done a video, Presented yeah. it that way, a rap song maybe. Um, yeah, sounds fun. <laughs> but you know, I would I would have presented it in a different way rather than a, 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 in an essay, and uh, that's where I found that people sometimes miss the mark with that uh, in terms of those things. I also find you know, reasonable adjustments are, are hilarious to me sometimes because yeah, you know, whenever you go on a training course or you go for an interview, they say, "Let us know if you need reasonable adjustments." And i phone them up and say well i do need reasonable adjustments but i don't know what they are because you haven't told me what you want me to do
0: yeah so what would you what just just for the listeners because we, we have a lot of listeners in the us and around what is a, what is a reasonable adjustment
1: so yeah. oh that's a good question and um, i'm not yeah. quite sure what the legal definition is but a reasonable adjustment is an adjustment your employer or training provider would make um in order to facilitate you being able to do that job as if you were didn't have dyslexia so in my case quite often it's extra time um, or it's preparation time that I need or actually it's always sometimes just telling me what you're going to expect me to do because sometimes when I go into something not knowing what you're going to ask me to do my anxiety is up there but if you tell me what it is I I'm like okay I can do that that's fine that's not a problem Um, that's not an issue for me uh, so that's that's a type of reasonable adjustment. Providing equipment might be a reasonable adjustment. So I've got a, a specialist laptop um, as reasonable adjustment. I know people who've got software it, that personally doesn't work for me. I don't like it, but I know it works for some mm. people who have software that reads words back to you. Um, you yeah. different coloured acetates is one of the things I used to have in the day. You put them. You can uh, do. You can do that now with your screen so i don't need the acetate so much um so it's just those types of things um it, it's just very interesting that i think part of my journey is understanding how i'm affected rather than the label that um mm. that dyslexia is because I, your your dyslexia will be different than my dyslexia because you're a different person to me and and you know dyslexia isn't something that that is wrong with me it's just part of who i am
0: hmm. it's kind so of it's, more of a it's a left it's a left brain label isn't it it's a it's yeah, the left brain world wants to label and box things so that they can tick them and so you know and we we kind of we kept called ourselves the right siders for that exact reason is that we're all a cocktail of a little bit of all these different things and it doesn't really matter what we call ourselves half the time
1: absolutely but i also find that um when i sort of start to talk to people about how i like to work and what works for me they go oh my gosh yeah that works much better for me because we find creative space when we collaborate when we talk when we think things through mm-hmm. when we reflect when, when we read when we ask questions that's yeah. when we really actually as a as a species br- create some great stuff and um, and the more we do that the, the better the world will be
0: and i think that's really important to note with anyone out there you know the dyslexics listening to this is don't get stuck in your head too much with things you know just remember that your mind's eye or what's in your perspective will be based on your previous experience throw yourself in a room with five others and start just shooting the breeze with no expectation on results you're going to come up with amazing collaborations that are 10x what you could ever come up with yourself because you've had not had their experience you know what you input is what you output so i think that's a really good point
1: Definitely. And also, I would, I would say to, to all the female listeners out there, because I think this is a very female thing, imposter syndrome is a really big issue with women, and it's a really big issue with pe- women with dyslexia. The amount of times I sit here and think, gosh, I'm just some girl from the middle of Wales. Why would anyone listen to me? When in reality, I'm a 40-year-old woman with two kids and mortgage and car payments, um, and I've worked bloody hard to get where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually deserve to be listened to because I, I do not actually know what I'm talking about. But that little part of your brain that says, you're not good at this, you're a good all rounder, you'd be a lovely housewife, bake some mm-hmm. cakes, um, is still there and it doesn't go away. Um, and so when I overthink things or when I work in isolation, I, that voice creeps in and I find myself. Over and over and over again, doing the same piece of work. Whereas if I collaborated and worked with somebody else, I would have smashed it out the park in twenty minutes.
0: And that's such a good that's such a good point. And I think it's like for all parts of our lives is we can get very insular with a problem. And you know, someone once told me this. You know, sometimes we believe that that's our greatest skill is solving problems. And if we can't solve it ourselves, then we've lost the one thing we're great at. So we sometimes, Definitely. we don't ask for help when we know that that's the the key to unlock much more. Um, and certainly,
1: I you know, reflecting on my early career, I was afraid to ask for help. And I was afraid to say I needed help, um, and that to my detriment. And you know, I, I would probably have had a much easier ride in my early 20s had I asked for help and, and been willing to do that. And I was also too afraid to, to say why I needed help.
0: Mm.
1: And it's that fear that holds you back.
0: Absolutely, I love that, and I think that's it's. There's such a good takeaway, and you know, women. You know, I think women have had it really hard, especially because you know, and it's not as. It's it's probably getting a little bit better and a little bit better every year, but it doesn't doesn't. You got to remember, I guess, that it's you know it's been going on for 20, twenty, thirty, fifty, hundreds, hundreds of years is really what it's been going on for. So it takes a long time to get that institutionalized. What would we call it assholery out of the out of the world yeah,
1: definitely but also there's that that whole with, with dyslexia and being a woman there's the whole right i've spent you know two weeks preparing for this board meeting that i'm going to and i'm presenting my strategy and that you know it's worth 1.4 billion pounds if i screw it up it's a big screw mm-hmm. up um and you know you go in and and your your nerves are there and, and you're wearing that voice in the back of your head going what are you doing here you should be in wales baking cakes and then you go in, and then the director you're presenting to makes a sexist joke, and then you're like, "Okay."
0: Yeah, That's and it's amazing. Like one of the things, yeah. Speaking on that, I, I know this is a slight off topic on that, but it's amazing how with dyslexia we're so empathetic. And you spoke about this with the career you went into, is something I've I've spoken on a bit. Is is our ability to pick up the emotional energy of a room or a person very quickly like I, I did an interview uh, the first one i ever did was with a guy who's in canada he's british and he does body language um work mark someone he had a name i promise you um but he he does body language talk and, and for that exact reason because he's so empathetic he can read body language he can create body language that results and and you know what would you say for people like in that type of career you know is that is that a place you'd recommend people consider
1: yes yeah. so i find my, my I've made a career out of being dyslexic because I essentially go in and try and understand the empathy of people, the culture of people that I'm dealing with. Um, And I didn't know what I do existed when I was at school and I didn't know it existed when I left university because it kind of didn't, it's evolved over time. But what I would say is that's your superpower. Um, You know, where others struggle and hide behind data and want information, you're able to take that information in very quickly and simplify it out. And that's That is what I've been doing my whole career Um, and I've made a pretty good career out of it Um, and I love it and I've been doing it. I can't see me doing anything else. My husband would tell you if you cut me open, it would have transformational change written all the way through it because, you know, that is my calling. And he often jokes to me that I, I know everything that's going on. In like my back in my hometown, even though I haven't lived there for a really long time, I know, you know I know all the neighbours, what's going on with our neighbours, because yeah. you know that those chats that you have, you pick up on the things that are happening that are going on. Um, so you, you end up in a, creating quite a close knit type community, um, and I, I find particularly women in their early careers really struggle with this as, as an asset because they think no one's going to listen to them.
0: I can I can imagine
1: and that's not the case my advice to anyone who's in that situation put your ideas forward
0: step up and I think this is the you know that is so important for everyone to hear is is step into what you want to do and you know I I also think as well is, is you know there, like I was I, I always remember this question that's gone through the group recently about a a young girl is a welder and she's she's moved back with her parents um in america and they're trying to work out what she can do because she's kind of enjoying it but not fully enjoying the role and like it it's kind of trying to give her the confidence to to chase down something she really wants to do in life is so powerful
1: and i would also to to somebody in in that position i would always advise them to think about what it is That you don't like because often we think we don't like something but actually what we're not liking is the culture and we're Mm -hmm. not liking the behaviors that that drive that Uh, and you know on paper a job or a career can seem perfect and in reality it can be awful but that may not be because um, of the of the job itself it may actually be of the culture of what you're being asked to do doesn't fit with you and i often find people saying you know i don't feel like i'm being stretched enough or i don't feel like i'm being given enough or i feel like i'm just being given pet projects rather than anything meaty because people are worried about whether i can deliver that or not
0: yeah that's a that's great advice and i think it's very it's, it's another fantastic point the point that we can get very um even though we have such good spatial awareness we can like look outside of the box we also can get very blinkered and if we, um, and, and we can kind of mush everything together. So something's bad's happening over here. We can't see what it is. We can just see the bad thing in the distance. And that can really skew our decision-making and we become very reactive. And you know, you're spot on, like step outside the box, talk to someone else about it, Hey, eh? Really get it out in words.
1: Yeah, f- find somebody that you can trust, find somebody, you know, I've often found finding uh, another female um, or even a male, you know, it doesn't, gender often doesn't matter in these situations, but um, I've often found that um, just finding someone who can mentor you, who can ask you those questions, who give you a bit of coaching around what the problems are will help you feel better and also understand a bit more. It's not its not always you, it, it might be them. Sometimes it might be you and them. And that's it. And actually sometimes it's okay to say that. It, it's not right, it, it was, hey, thanks, but no thanks.
0: Yeah, and, and I think, you know, and that's that is so important to, to remember. And, and I think I think for everyone out there is if you are in a job that you're unsure about, you know, just do talk to people, draw it out, get a bit of paper, do some doodling, you know, dig in. The thing you were told not to do at school, do lots of it. And just... Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, you know, the thing you're told not to do at school, doodling, I doodle all the time because the only way I can concentrate on what people are saying. And if I'm sat in a meeting and I'm not doodling, I'm tapping or doing something because it, it helps me keep the rhythm of what's going on. But I would also say to people who are um, who are uh, unhappy in their careers, don't don't be afraid to, to stand up and say, no, I'm not taking notes. Um, you know, I, I've got a problem um, because I don't feel like I'm being stretched in this role. I often find actually saying to people, I've got a problem. I hope can you help me with my problem rather than saying uh, I'm unhappy with this. If you say I've got people will be more willing to try and help you um, with yeah. that, which which is much, much better. Um, I would definitely uh, suggest that to people. And, and just being honest with people, you know, I, um, I've often been, I'm quite vocal on a lot of matters like this. And I've often been asked, aren't you afraid that you'll get tired with being a bit of a troublemaker. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Um, Mm -hmm. If they want to label me a troublemaker, then I probably don't want to associate with them because these are actual real issues that we need to face. And I'm quite happy to go and find someone that does appreciate um, the challenging of the status quo uh, because we do need to challenge. And I do think it's for those of us that are are willing and able to do that, we we have a responsibility to challenge.
0: And, I, and I, I agree, and I think there are a lot. I think I think it was what you said earlier on: is there are a lot of shall we call them sleeper agents in the dyslexia field up the tree of business? There are a lot of us hiding around that you would never guess were like I. I did some coaching with a with an executive over in New Zealand, and she was saying her bo- her big boss was dyslexic. Um, I I had an ex partner and two of the execs on their their large large company were dyslexic. You know the amount of dyslexics that have snuck up the rungs, Uh, they're around. And I think, you know, this is what I'm starting to see with what we're doing and what people like yourself are coming out and starting to talk more is we're starting to bring it into the open and people are starting to get more open about, okay, maybe we can change things. Maybe we have finally got where we need to be to, to make change.
1: Yeah and I think it's also breaking down some of those myths about people with dyslexia you know I wouldn't describe myself as somebody who doesn't have a high attention to detail in fact I'm I'm known for being really pedantic um, about fonts and, and spelling and, and things like that um, and I pick up on those really quickly but equally if I'm not in the right space I'm going to make spelling mistakes and I'm always mortified when I make a spelling mistake as I feel like I've created c- committed some sort of capital crying because I've made a spelling mistake. Um, and that's that's my own insecurity rather than in reality because everyone makes a spelling mistake. Everyone yeah. makes a typo. It, it happens. Um, and I was particularly mortified when someone pointed out I spelt my own name wrong once. <laughs> um, but you know they, these things happen and, and, and that's one of the things that, that do happen. Um, and I think one of the things for me that was that was really um, big um, was when I had children. Um, because baby brain is a genuine scientific thing uh, it genuinely happens your brain depresses apparently it's so you can bond with your baby, but that brought out a lot more of my dyslexic characteristics and um, for about 18 months I my brain did not function it did not fire on all four cylinders and I found that really hard really really hard um, so when I went back to work after having my children for I went back when they were nine months old for, for until they were well over a year old my brain with, I couldn't get my words out I was tripping over my words and I couldn't write properly I couldn't think properly um, and it really stressed me out but if I ask my colleagues how I did People are like you're smashing it, Shona. You've just got a promotion. What are you worrying about? <laughs> but for me, I didn't feel like myself, mm. um, and I, you know, and that's that's a real thing. And and I, people don't understand what the toll that pregnancy takes on your body as a woman, and then when you have something like dyslexia, the toll that it t- that takes on your mind. You know, I, before I had dyslexia, uh, before I had children, I was like, yeah, it's fine. I'm, you know, I, if I need mm. an early night, I can get an early night now. You know, you don't sleep for days sometimes, and you've still got to function. And I notice that I don't, I don't feel at my best, and that makes me feel more insecure. Um, but in reality, the people around me don't see that.
0: I, I think it's that's a that's an interesting point. I've never thought of it like that. That's a really that's a lesson for me, a learning for me, which is brilliant. That's why I do these because I love learning from other awesome human beings. That's fantastic. That's yeah, I've never thought of that. That must, yeah, must affect it that's awesome well thank you so much for being on this today you've been absolutely amazing and I just love showcasing epic human beings who have done done well as dyslexics that like there's so many of us out there but many are not willing to share that they've had challenges or struggles and you know to see someone like yourself who's you know um from Wales no not female no I'm just, just joking <laughs> you can kick me afterwards Shannon uh, but, you know, but to see someone who's done, like, so well, you know, and, and actually fought through through the challenges, you know, it, it's an inspiration to, to dyslexics and women out there that, you know, you can get there. You can do it. You can. You don't have to be the stay-at-home mum because of challenges. You can kick ass in the corporate world. And I love yeah. that.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, you're welcome, and uh, and wait, wait, and I'll put this out, guys. If you're listening to this on the podcast, I'll put this out on video format as well, um, and you can watch me drink a cup of coffee and Shona do all the amazing work. Uh, she was fantastic, um, and thank you for listening to the podcast.